You're listening to Europe Calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. All the news from Spain and the UK. Things you might have missed. Very good day, everybody. Welcome to the podcast for today, the 12th of January, 2023. Okay, so in actual fact, uh, the weather seems to be changing a little bit, although I managed to get a walk on the beach and it has been nice again. So let's go across uh, west of where I am and find out where Terry is and uh, whether he's okay. And the weather is staying fine for him as well. So Terry, good afternoon. Welcome to you. Good afternoon, Vince. How are you doing? I'm uh, just feeling that maybe there's there's a bit of a change in the air, and I think that's where our first story will go. So, okay. uh, do you feel anything in your bones uh, this time of the year? <laughs> I've everything in my bones this time. Yeah, yeah. The weather's it's certainly getting a little bit colder now, a little bit damper, a bit colder. It's still nice, bright, sunny during the day, but you go out like an onion. Yeah, you keep taking you take layers off as you get through to about ten in the morning, and then. After about two in the afternoon, you start putting layers back on again. Yeah. Well, uh, just going by what I've read about uh, two or three minutes ago, actually. Um, so we're pretty hot off the press with this one. Okay. So Spain's state meteorological agency is called AMET. And they've warned that the country's warm winter is set to end as temperatures are predicted to drop throughout Spain this weekend. It's all about uh, the entry of a massive polar air and it will lower temperatures throughout Spain. Um, The high temperatures of November and December, of course, the warmest in a century and a half, will give way over the next few days to a winter atmosphere more fitting for the time of year. This is Samuel Biner from the Climatology Laboratory of the University of Alicante uh, talking at the weekend and talking about the temperatures could continue to drop into Monday and Tuesday of next week. On Sunday, a more active frontal system will cross the peninsula from west to east with rainfall over much of Spain and with a snow level that will drop to 1,200 metres in mountain areas in the centre and in the north. Uh, Although with the current forecast, the drop in temperatures will be more pronounced inland, he added. Faced with the arrival of polar air, the cold entry could intensify. Well, they do their normal things, which is to repeat exactly what they've just said in whatever article they're writing here in Spain. So um, let me go to the reason why I wanted to uh, bring this in first. We have people coming across on holidays and possibly were going to live here for say maybe the best part of three months and probably even up to six months um, and I went across to Benidorm yesterday to meet uh, a very old friend and of course it's lovely to see so many of the British still managing to walk around in their shorts and t-shirts but Spain does have its changes at this time of the year. So, Terry, um, tell us a bit about the way you feel the, we- the weather has been up to now and what probably lies ahead. Way too warm. Way too warm. Our, our summer was the longest summer on record uh, this year in Spain. Um, I didn't, didn't really start changing into November. Um, and as you mentioned, it's been very mild winter. I mean, Christmas is always a lovely time here. And we, it's normally, you know, you can nip out in your shirt sleeves for an hour or two, but it's, it's, Christmas was fabulous, you know, 24, 25 degrees. It's crazy. Like I say, I, saw, I was in Benham yesterday, and funny enough, I, you can always tell the Brits they're the ones go down the road in shorts and T-shirts, you know, even though it's like 9 degrees or something. Yes. No, but, you know, they're in Benidorm, so you have to, this is the uniform you have to wear. Uh, hardy souls. Yeah, the, the, the danger has been, talking amongst the locals, is that the... By not having a winter when it's supposed to happen, uh, of course, nature gets really upset. And trees and things start to uh, can start to bloom when they shouldn't be blooming. And then, then they can get literally nipped in the bud, shall we say, 
by a, an early frost. Um, round here we have the nisperu, which is an Arabic fruit. Uh, only really grows around this area, really. Um, it's an Arabic, bit like a plum, I suppose. Um, but it, it, it's very tasty. Um, but that that's very susceptible to a frost. And uh, that comes, to, that fruits uh, in the spring. And if it, if it gets a, um, a latish frost, you know, sort of February time, then it can wipe out the fruit. And when we talk about wipe out the fruit, you're wiping out the, the fruit economy of this whole area. Um, oranges and lemons are grown by the millions here, but they are nowadays the farmers leave them on the trees. They just can't afford to pick them. They can't get the money for them. But uh, the Nisporo fruit is, uh, is, is, a, is normally a very good crop for them. I mean, generally speaking, a lot of uh, overseas labourers come in to do the fruit picking. Uh, seasonal labourers come into this area. And the last time it happened where the, the crop failed, we ended up with um, loads and loads and loads of robberies. Mm. Can't really put the two together there, can you? <laughs> but, Not uh, these days. It is, it is dangerous. Uh, I, I, feel, I feel the worst, really, because it's, it's very nice for us to enjoy this weather, but it's, it's messing up. It's messing, because it's messing nature, because this is nature, but it's messing up the rhythm, the natural rhythm of, of, of the ground. And uh, it, it, could be, it could be very dangerous um, for, for many economies. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come back to uh, this whole topic in a second or two, just before we move forward. Um, the, the Brits used to have a winter fuel allowance, which uh, was taken off the menu. Um, mm. Obviously, I, I would imagine those people um, that were involved in taking it away don't really know that the way this weather can change suddenly. And, you know, uh, with the older British people, yeah, they, they've got this on cost, which some of them will struggle to uh, manage, which is, of course, the um, the cold weather. You've got to put your, your heating on. And this year in particular, that could be very, very costly, couldn't it? Very expensive. Uh, I mean, we used to just... I actually use my air conditioning for heating more than cooling. Uh, the air goes on more in the winter than it is in the summer. Uh, it's very efficient. It's a very efficient way of heating uh, your home. It's actually it's more economical to run air conditioning heating than, than cooling. Um, and generally speaking, uh, if you've got, got an electric fire or something, you put electric fire on, you know, a one kilowatt fire will draw one kilowatt and give you one kilowatt of heat. It's one for one. Um, but with, with air conditioning systems, it, it triples that. If you put a kilowatt, if your system draws a kilowatt of power, It'll give you three kilowatts of heat, so it is a very—it's a good system to use for heating. Um, but we've been using it very sparingly, to be honest with you. We've we've cracked out a load of rugs, rugs, uh, big big thick blankets, uh, which we uh, chuck over our legs to stave off putting on the air conditioning to heat the house. You know, we 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 put on a bit later during the day. I'm sitting in there with a rug over my legs. Yeah. Uh, whereas normally I'll just have it far and away, but because of the price of electricity, we've got to be a little bit careful. And as uh, it's relevant to what we're talking about, the Spanish homes are built a little differently to the way that British homes are built, aren't they? Yeah, they're built to get rid of heat, uh, not to keep it in. Um, we don't have um, traditionally, we do now, and the building standards have, have changed um, regarding insulation and uh, cavity walls, but uh, one of the houses I'm working on locally now, which I guess is about 65 years old, it hasn't even got a cavity wall. It hasn't got proper foundations. It has, it's got homemade concrete beams in inverted commas for the floors instead of the precast ones that we use. Um, and it's, it's, I'm going around insulating the whole house with this old guy because it's, uh, it's way too cold for him. He just bought it during the summer and it's way too cold for him. So we've insulated it for him now. Yeah. So he's, he's quite happy, Bunny. OK, well, look, our second story actually does relate very, very specifically to uh, what you were just talking about. So uh, let's find out what it's all about. OK, these f thousands of farmers protesting in Madrid on Wednesday. The PSOE, that's the Labour Party, and Podemos, which is... 
really more like a communist party. Um, I've got a coalition here and the government's plan to provide ecological protection for the Tagus River, reducing the amount of water taken from it to irrigate agricultural land in the country's southeast. So exactly where we are and what we've been talking about. Uh, This was all the protesting going on in front of Spain's Ministry for Ecological Transition demanding the resignation of the minister, Teresa Ribeira. Uh, Spain experienced, of course, its hottest year on record in 2022. The heat, accompanied by a long drought throughout most of the year, caused reservoirs to fall to critical levels. Ribeira had said on Tuesday that the curbs were necessary to prepare the country for the effects of climate change. But farmers and regional politicians say it will affect livelihoods given that the region affected is a major food producer dubbed the Orchard of Europe. Murcia's regional leader, Fernando López Meras of the right-wing PP, that's the sort of Conservative Party, said at the protest that the water transfer from the Tagus irrigates 70% of the fruits and vegetables exported by Spain, and he warned that 25,000 jobs could be lost if the water transfer is cut off. The Tagus is the Iberian Peninsula's longest river, running 1,007 kilometres, from eastern Spain all the way into Portugal, where it spills into the Atlantic. But relative close to the source, there is a man-made canal that reroutes some water southward to the Segura River. The water transfer system via pipes from reservoirs in central Spain to to the fruit orchards here in Valencia and further down in Murcia was one of the largest hydraulic engineering projects ever carried out in the country and contributed to its development as a major fruit and vegetable exporter. The government is acting after the Supreme Court ruled that the Tagus must have a rate of water flow that's considered ecological, which technicians say means it must not fall below 8.65 cubic metres per second. Uh, So let me just ask you, is that something that um, is understandable? For me, it isn't, I've got to say. Um, But is it something that, you know, you have to deal with on a sort of regular basis? Well, it affects us all, Vince. You're quite right. The, the Murcia region that we're talking about is like the Vale of Evesham. You know, it, it's a massive, massive fruit and veg growing area, yeah. enormous. And it, and it feeds Spain and it feeds, it feeds Europe. An awful lot of your produce you get um, in, in your supermarkets in the UK and around, around Europe um, will be coming from that area. <clears throat> so if you start interfering with the water supply, which is very delicate at the best of times, then you can imagine uh, it will be a complete catastrophe. I mean, whole, whole farms will just go out of business in one hit and you try and resurrect them or pick them again. So it's, um, it's a bit strange uh, that Madrid's claiming the water. Yeah, you know, but <laughs> what do you want? What's Madrid going to do with the water? You're going to wash in it. It's a very big population. Um, but you're going to starve if you don't let the water come down to where it should go in, in Murcia. So they really need to be looking at this in a different way. The Segura River, which runs uh, sort of northeast, southwest, uh, across the peninsula, down through Murcia, will be severely affected by this because um, it, it uh, relies on, on, um, on tributaries and other waterways uh, networked across Spain to keep that flow of water going. Um, so it, it is a very, very serious problem. Um, I don't know how they're going to get out of this one. It's, it's whoever's got the biggest political clout. If Madrid's got the biggest political clout, then they're, which is basically what we're saying, is that they're, they're claiming the water. But this is wrong, very wrong. There's not, I don't know. They're going to, they should have thought this one out before. You, this has been coming on, as you know, I deal in, with water. Yeah. This has been coming on now for over 20 years, um, a drought situation. And we nearly had it last year. We would have had a drought situation here in Spain. I'd imagine half the hotels would have been closed in Bedon last year if it wasn't for record levels of rain that we experienced over the Easter period. Um, because if that hadn't happened, then the reservoirs would have been empty. You'd have opened your tap and dust would have come out. When I, was, when I first came here in the, uh, in the 70s, we had uh, numerous years where there wasn't any water in Benidorm, where I remember... There were huge um, ships uh, anchored out in the Bay of Benidorm pumping water 
up to the top of the town that was released at midnight every night for one hour. You had midnight to 1 a.m. Uh, you had water, so you imagine what the bars were like. Yeah. Um, and that happened again in Barcelona in recent years. They had to do the same there in Barcelona, bring ships of water and, and tank it into the, into the city. It's it's not well managed at all, and hasn't been well managed the water system uh, in Spain for a very long time, and uh, it really, really, really needs sorting out. The Arabs set up uh, most of they use the aquifers, and they set up wonderful irrigation systems, which are still used today, certainly around Valencia area. They, they've got a um, they have a water watering irrigation system, and they have the the oldest court, I believe, in Europe sits there on, on like a monthly basis it's a quarter uh sorry it's a, it's a i think it's 11 uh elders so we say sit down every month and, and work out where the irrigated water will flow valencia being very flat so it relies heavily on, on on irrigation systems which are arabic by and large yeah and that this court has been holding holding court in commas, for longer than any other court they can think of in, in certainly in europe well, they were saying uh, that um, this minimum of six cubic litres a second uh, was established uh, without taking into account ecolo- ecological factors, which, of course, really probably what some of this might be about. And uh, the government, which has not specified how the change will affect the transfer of water, said the reduction will be done gradually. It's going to be over five years, so they've got a bit of planning time. Um, they plan to compensate farmers by investing €8 billion Euros to encourage the recycling of water and increase water desalination production that can be used instead. Uh, it's a joy to see all of you here. That's these um, people that were protesting. Um, it means the agriculture of southeastern Spain is still alive and will remain so, despite the politicians we come to visit today. Uh, Lucas Jimenez, uh, the president of the Central Irrigation Union, told the crowd, let them leave the water in the hands of those who understand water. Authorities estimated that around 7,000 people attended the protest and up till now the Tagus was the only river in Spain without an official ecological threshold that used environmental criteria to establish the minimum flow it needs to ensure its ecological health. Um, so, just thinking about the whole situation, um, the timing really couldn't couldn't be much worse with um, problems uh, from Ukraine, which we don't really know how drastic these are going to become until yeah. probably later in the this winter. Uh, but I would have thought the planning of this is critical now to food supplies for lots of people in many countries, our exports as well from Spain, obviously, um, but for the people that live and work here in that industry, I mean, this really is not something that you can shelve. It's got to be sorted quickly, hasn't it? It's not something you're going to sort in five years. When they, if they say that they've got a five-year target, um, you know, or they're actually saying you've got five, you know, the trying to give the, the beneficial by saying you've got five years to do this. No, you can't do this in five years. You mentioned desalination. It's never worked. It, it's way too expensive. It, it uses an enormous amount. It was too expensive before, way, way back before we had these shock uh, electric prices. So you imagine how much that would cost now uh, to, to, to desalinate a, a cubic metre of water. And what do you do with the salt? They've never come up with a solution for that. There's there's something for somebody. What, what can you do with all this salt? You can't chuck it back in the sea. You kill all the fish. So uh, repercussions, it's like nuclear energy. There's, there's repercussions there. What do you do with the old nuclear reactors? You know, they chuck them in, they chuck them and bury them in, bury them in deep, <laughs> deep, deep sea out in the Pacific or something in concrete. It's, it's, they've got to think this one out. And you can't, five years is nothing. You can't do anything in five years. Not going to happen. Uh, does it strike you as being um, maybe a little bit suspect that we've got all this um, sort of anti-governmental um, confusion and disruption in other countries? And, of course, really, with the war going on, anything's going to be a little bit difficult this year. Um, timing's not good politically either, is it, really? Well, he's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. I don't even... I don't even know he's still in power, but it is, having said that, he's done a reasonable job, I must admit. 
uh, over the difficult periods with COVID, etc. He's held it together, but there's no there's no viable opposition at the minute. That's the trouble in Spain. There isn't any viable opposition. It's not a two tier a two party system like uh, basically the UK is. I mean, it used to be a two party system. That's all it ever was. Mm-hmm. But since the, the, the various other smaller parties cropping up and taking a, a handful of seats here and a handful of seats there, nobody ever seems to be able to get a, a majority. But the um, it, it's I, you know my favourite word money five letter word. I can see when you were talking about this, I'm thinking I can see a big plate of Brussels coming up here, yeah. a big big plate because if they're saying they're going to take their water away from from the agricultural areas of Murcia, the massive fruit and veg areas, then that's going to affect Europe. So I, I'm just, while you were talking, I'm going, how's this one going to play out? I know, money. They're going to go straight to Brussels and say, well, we need all this money to uh, do, uh, to make all this infrastructure. I guarantee you that one. Okay, well, I think the next article is going to give us a bit of a clue. So um, let's see what we've got on this. <laughs> Okay, so this is recent data next from Eurostat, and it's revealing that despite the nine packages of sanctions placed on uh, Russia, only seven of the 27 EU member states reduced their imports from Russian territory in 2022. Uh, This was according to figures available between February and August of last year. They show uh, these seven countries as Finland, Lithuania, Latvia, Denmark, Estonia, Sweden and Ireland. And according to Bruegel, the volume in general of foreign imports from Russia fell from more than 20 million tonnes in January 2022 to 13 um, registered in October. The value did the same, going from 22,000 million euros a month to 12,800 in October. This shift is not seen so clearly, though, if it's broken down by member states one way or another. And although not at the level of the past, the EU continues to finance Putin's machine. The remaining 20 EU countries have increased imports to a greater or lesser extent. Spain, for example, increased its exports by 51%, with a value of 4,700 million of value of euros in the aforementioned period. At the top of the scale, though, Slovenia saw its imports rise by an astonishing 346%, Luxembourg 262%, and Austria by 139%. Hungary's inclusion on the list is hardly surprising, as the government of Viktor Orban is considered Putin's Trojan horse in the EU. His nation has shown increased stubbornness in the measures placed on Moscow. Now, if we go to the other end um, of the scale, Sweden showed a 60% drop, Denmark a 44% drop in imports. They are the two countries leading this disengagement from Moscow, showing that the Nordic countries are the ones working hard to stop Putin from financing his regime. Despite Poland's unconditional support for Ukraine, the country has increased its imports from Russia by 24%. It's a similar figure to that of Germany's 33% or the Czech Republic 31%. France and Italy increased their imports by 84% and 100% respectively until August 2022. Spain maintains a commercial relationship with Russia based, among other things, on energy purchase and until October, the purchase of liquefied natural gas had increased by 23% compared to the previous year and in addition to fuels, foundry iron and steel, inorganic chemical products, aluminium and waste from the food industry for fertiliser or other Spanish imports from Russia Again, uh, uh, to the data that we were able to uh, show from 20 minutes punto es. So there's, um, I mean, is it hypocrisy or is it that you have to just try and continue your trading with people um, despite the fact that there's a war going on? What, what do you see with all this? I'm totally disgusted by what you've just said there. 
That is absolutely disgusting. All of us, all of us since February last year have been suffering by what's happening to Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine's getting blown to crap. It really is shocking because the whole world's afraid of Russia. They're getting blown to absolute smithereens, literally, on a daily basis. And we all we all knuckled down and, and said, we, you know, we, we, will, we will suffer the fact that we realise things are going to go up, i.e. energy, etc., etc. And then, and then you, <laughs> so you're under the opinion that we're all suffering because we're making Russia suffer. But when you tell me there's only a handful of, 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 of the countries you mentioned, all but one was the uh, borders, well, there were old Russian republics. Yeah. Uh, that, that were actually uh, uh, had negative purchases from from uh, uh, from Russia. All the rest, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. I cannot believe that. I mean, I just find that unbelievable. That, that what you're telling me. It just it, it, well, why are we suffering then? If if they're buying so much from Russia, they're buying more from Russia. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Then you're putting more money into his hands. So what what? What the hell's going on? This is so, so wrong on, on all points. Well, it sort of infers that there is something that's a bigger picture, which you are either not being told or... Five little word. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely, the money's there. But, I mean, you yeah. can understand uh, the seven countries, apart from Ireland... Um, but, I mean, those right up on Russia's borders, well, they've got to be very careful up there because, obviously, they're, they're next in line if, um, yeah. you know, if he decides to really start getting stroppy. Um, mm. But, I mean, really, why would you find Ireland in with that? I don't know. That was weird, the one you tacked on at the end. Yeah. I've got the least to worry about, I would imagine. You can imagine uh, Sweden and Norway because, I mean, because Finland, Finland used to be Russian, yes. uh, part of the Russian uh, Republic originally. Um, so Finland is obviously uh, a bit worried, but they're joining NATO now, so that puts the, takes the pressure off a little bit. Poland being a NATO member, then that's that's the border with Russia now that we have. Um, so it protects a little bit the Baltic countries and uh, Scandinavia, but it's 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 just absolutely it, it's completely wrong. What, why are we all suffering? What we're all told. Everything that we're paying extra for, but electric, your food stuff, dairy produce, whatever, because of the war in Ukraine. I'm told that my building materials have gone up 35% in some cases because of the war in Ukraine. So, but hang on, isn't the whole idea of, 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 of fighting an economic war against Russia to, to cut off his money supply? And then you're telling me that these countries have actually increased their, their purchases from, from, from Russia. I, I, well, I'm speechless, absolutely speechless. Well, as I say, the source seems reasonably um, correct. Uh, I, I don't really, um, it's not somewhere where I would always go to get statistics because like everybody else, you know, you don't normally until you have to. Um, mm. But I mean... Uh, well, I'd, I'd be really, really upset if that was true, if that was... It was I mean, the figures they're saying, it's ridiculous, the figures they're saying. Well, the ones in particular, the remaining 20 EU countries increasing to a greater or lesser extent, and uh, and Spain, according to what we've just looked at, increased its imports by 51%, uh, with a value... I don't really see what Spain's importing from Russia. Um, well, that told us further down, didn't it? That uh, Well, it said energy, but I mean, but what energy can you import from Russia? Um, the, the, I can imagine there's some gas coming into the northern part of Spain until... They get the network from Morocco sorted out, which will be exporting gas from Morocco and Algeria yeah. through Spain to Europe. So that'll be reversing the flow. Um, uh, but I, but I, well, I know I've I've, I've received letter um, this week from a, a major supplier. Um, they're a, they're a French company. It's one of the I buy quite a few of their different materials. Uh, telling me that their products will be increasing between 8 and 35%. I'm told by my concrete supplier, because I've got a project to do in two months' time uh, where I need a hell of a lot of concrete, that the price for concrete is going to go up 30%. Which from now to, till, till February. He said the price in February is going to be 30% more. So I have to ask the question, why? What, well, what is in concrete that's going to... The, 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 the shingle and shale comes out of the, the local hillside. Obviously, the cement's got to come in. 
there's a certain amount of power involved um, mixing the stuff up and transporting it. What, 30%? You know, again, um, I'm getting to the point that people are raising these prices up for one simple reason. They can. And we're, and we're the ones that are suffering at the end of it. What about um, uh, the comment in the article regarding Hungary? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, he bats, he bats on every wick. He, can, he, he was, uh, I mean, why join the EU? We need to get money out of him, which he did. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's first in the queue to pull out, pull out of the EU. Hungary. Yeah. As was Poland until Russia started rattling the sabers, and all of a sudden Poland will think, "Oh no, hang on, we don't want to pull out of the EU." But um, he, he's, he's, he's a, he's a well, he, he, I was going to say he's a politician. He's just a money grabbing a, a personality, shall we say? I was trying to think of another word, but um, uh, Victor Orban. But it, it's, uh, it runs the rules of state by fear. It, it's it's the same. It is. There's so many. And look what happened in Brazil now. There's so much conflict going on. And a lot of it is media-inspired. So uh, we're looking forward to very troubling times, I think, uh, young Vince. I think so. And, and really, um, sadly to say, I would imagine that the unseen hand of America probably is also doing things that we would be quite surprised if it um, came to pass. Well, that Trump, Trump's got a direct involvement in, in, in Brazil. I mean, the ex-president gets voted out. He, no, no, as soon as voted out, he jumps on, on a plane straight to the States. And then days later, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a revolution uh, in, in, in the, uh, destroying the House of Parliament, the, the, the Royal Palace, etc., etc., uh, and, and God knows where that's going to take it. They're, they're stirring up revolution via the media. Uh, Donald Trump spans all over it. Okay. It, it's, it's worrying time, man. I mean, people like Donald Trump can become leader of the most powerful country in the world. It's time to worry. Well, <laughs> certainly when you look at the British answer to that, where you've had mm. three uh, of the world's probably... Um, strangest politicians claiming the uh, the special seat. I mean, you know, it just goes from silly to, to sillier and back, doesn't it? Um, let's stay with the news media because I spotted um, an article in the Euro Weekly News and uh, let's just see what we make of this one because, again, I think sometimes, um, you know, without always being hard news, there are things that um, give us ideas. Uh, let's try this one. So, uh, from the Euro Weekly News, without question, the news media from most major TV channels is absolutely running riot with derogatory and depreciating reports attacking the Conservative government. Um, so we go a little bit further into the article. Headlines are positively bursting with accounts of strikes that are causing chaos. People's homes dripping with leaks and mould. Thousands waiting for NHS treatment and attention. Derogatory reporting on the cost of living crisis and finance and never-ending plans of rescue from a future Labour government. It's all quite unbelievably left-wing strategy to depict the country and its society falling apart under the present government. Government. Recently, a report dropped into the anti-government media like an early Christmas present. A black woman, uh, which you'll remember when we talk about this, calling herself Ngozi Fulani, complained that she'd been re uh, racially insulted at a Buckingham Palace function by an elderly member of the royal staff. Apparently, she'd been asked where she really came from. This could have meant nothing more than where her ancestors originated. To this woman, however, the remark was slam dunk and didn't have the media uh, love it. Every TV news channel, particularly BBC, screamed headlines concerning this poor woman who headed an African domestic abuse charity organisation being tragically insulted by one of the royal household. No doubt by the time that this article will be here, you will have learned her original name was Marlene Headley. 
The charity she represented was paying her £65,000 a year. She was a supporter of Meghan Markle and Black Lives Matter. And the next day, social media, including uh, Nigel Farage and even a number of black correspondents, ran a uh, complete rampage over her allegations and accused her of plotting every move. This... um, Was it? Well, of course not. Obviously, under instruction from upstairs, the British media dropped the story of her name change like a ton of bricks. After all, it didn't run akin to the woke propaganda and lefty equivalents at all. Uh, Rather than inform their viewers of something that simply didn't adhere to their media narrative, they've quickly reverted to pumping out their whole package of infested anti-government rhetoric, Oil contr- uh, all contrived to win Labour the next election. Um, I would add in that it's pretty obvious that um, we've now had um, just a avalanche, an avalanche of um, um, Prince Harry and his um, memoirs, if you like, or whatever you want to call it. But I mean, I do agree that I see so much of just trying to undermine the UK government all the time. Um, how do you see that one? Oh, absolutely. Any government. Uh, the media is too strong now. The media is, is virtually unregulated, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they can say anything uh, at whim. They can, as, as we just mentioned in Brazil, there are riots appearing on the streets by, by the use of media. Uh, social media, this is, never mind media. Um, but the, the it... it, it it's the classic thing that you get a full-page uh, slanderous uh, statement which in everybody's face, which is uh, immediately point, uh, found out to be completely untrue. And then you get uh, uh, three weeks later, you get a small paragraph on page 36 at the bottom saying, we apologise for the error. They've been doing that for years. Their job is, is to sell newspapers and to get stories out there to earn money to sell advertising money. They, it, so you have to have something, uh, certainly on the front of your newspaper, they'll make you buy that newspaper. If it's a bland, if it's a bland statement, no one's going to pick it up. It, they have to have something, you know, like the, the Daily Star, a lorry found on moon, and people buy that thing, oh, there's a lorry found on the moon. Hmm. So it, it, they put in money into, the, into their coffers. It, it's, it, and now you've got the... Um, and it's been used and abused. It, now it goes into social media. Before that, it was just the newspapers uh, that had all the power. Uh, in, in the UK, the, the most the most sold paper being the Sun. Uh, the day of, of the election, whichever the paper, whichever uh, person that the news the Sun newspaper put on the front of their paper, they will be be elected as prime minister, because there's a, there's always a massive twenty percent floating vote, uh, and normally the the two parties are quite close together. But there's a 20% floating vote always. And that floating vote won't really make its mind up until a few days or even the day of the election. And they know this. And the Sun newspaper will negotiate with different parties as to, you know, what favours you're going to give us, uh, in other words. And then this face appears on the newspaper and that, lo and behold, that person voted in. It's, it's, it's awful, the power um, uh, the, 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 the newspapers are now, of course, the, me- the newspapers are now losing out to social media and Facebook, etc. People don't people don't buy a newspaper anymore. I, I read my newspapers online. I don't go out and buy one. Yeah. I read them online. No, I'm the same. It, it, I, I, I read my stuff online. Um, but, I mean, there's a bit of a sea change in some respects because, obviously, uh, we've always been led to believe that most of the media is right-wing, um, and yet uh, the BBC, for some reason, seems to be left-wing, possibly. Be- oh, yeah, yeah, BBC's always been left. Well, I, no, I, I disagree with that. I've always perceived that most journalists are left-wing. Most, most journalists are very much socialist-orientated, um, for whatever reason. But to my, to my, the way I, I've, I've always seen it, journalists are nine times out of ten going to be socialist orientated than 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 right wing you get there's only a, there's only a couple of of in inverted commas tory newspapers in britain most newspapers are uh, are left left orientated i suppose um, really that that by definition though is not really 
um, to be that surprising because um, once you're writing something in a, in a newspaper, unless a policy is particularly ordained by the public to be successful, you know, um, y- y- the only way you can really gather but brownie points is by writing against that particular policy, isn't it? Hmm. Oh, yeah, it's a, yeah to, to get people going. To get people going sells newspapers. Um, so that's it's never been, you know, the good news newspaper never never took off, did it? Mm. It has to. Bad news is the only thing that's going to sell a newspaper. You need to have something really that's going to grab your eyes. You walk past the news, you're going to grab that one. What's this going on here? And all of a sudden, you're 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 you're, you're funding the newspaper and and whatever they're they're they're, they're selling. Um, it, it's dangerous. It, it really is. Um, uh, Robert Maxwell, the, the, tyco- the business tycoon, who fought long and hard to become a, a politician and joined one party, uh, became an MP of Oxford, wasn't he, or something? Then they, they wouldn't let me in the cabinet, so they he ditched it and joined another party. And then all of a sudden he realised, wait a minute, there's no power in politics, the power's in the press. Mm-hmm. So he ends up buying the Daily Mirror. That's when he, And he realised that's where the power is, the power's in the press. The, 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 you see it now, the, the governments and the personalities in the government are ripped to shreds on a daily basis by the press and the media. Had you, re- had you realised that that uh, black lady that was, you know, the Furore, yeah. uh, did you know that she had that uh, name change? Did, did you know yes, that- of course. Well, I was going to mention while you were doing it, because then you came out with it. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, she was born with an Anglo-Saxon name. Yeah. She was obviously, she's, she's changed her name. To, to a sort of an African tribal name. She was dressed very much, not Western, but African-style dress at the, at, the, at the event we're talking about. So if, if you've got a label on your, on your shirt saying that you've got like an African tribal name, you're dressed like an African tribal person, what is somebody going to... She's waiting for somebody to say, and where are you from? Yeah. And that's what exactly... And they fell for it. And the press got it right. She planned it, she set it up, and that poor lady... Got 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 uh, got got thrown to the wolves. That uh, the, the 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 queen's. Uh, it, it's it's awful, it, but it goes on, and there's nothing to stop it, Vince. There is nothing to stop it, but the public love it. They love seeing people shredded to bits on a daily basis, so they're just feeding it. It's almost like going back to the Colosseum in Rome, you know, just just keep shredding people out in the middle of the Colosseum, because we'll, we'll get thousands every day turning up to see it happen. That's what's happening. But it's su- destroying society. I suppose, you see, when uh, people are told that the whole of the world practically is owned by two companies, most people just don't understand that. And if you care to follow all the news channels and do a bit of uh, station hopping for a while, I think that's when you understand, if you can understand, you know, watching maybe a bit of news in Spain or in France and then going back to your English news and flicking across the various channels. I think that's the only time you get anywhere near um, the news or the truth of the news. So I think um, I think we'll move on because uh, I've got a couple of other things that I would okay. like to make sure that we talk about. So here's the next one. Okay, this is uh, only a small paragraph. It's a crowd was gathering at Trafalgar Square in central London on the afternoon that this article was in the paper in solidarity with anti-government protests in Iran. Earlier on Sunday, hundreds of protesters marched through central London from Marble Arch and have set up a stage beside Nelson's Column, draped in pre-revolutionary Iranian flags. Protests have been mounting in and outside of Iran since a 22-year-old Iranian lady, Marsha Amini, died in police custody in Tehran in September of 2022 after being arrested for allegedly violating strict EHAB uh, rules. Now, my point about looking at this particular thing is, I don't know whether or not uh, you feel this way, I get sick and tired of seeing London brought to a standstill for a protest about something that's miles and miles away from really anything that anybody in London can do. Because it's, it's, 
it's it's an idea that uh, freedom of speech. You, everyone must have freedom of speech. Uh, I'm fine. I agree with freedom of speech, but I don't want somebody drumming it down my ears on a daily basis or standing outside my house with a loud hailer. Uh, that isn't freedom of speech. That's pushing your ideas onto me. I'm prepared to listen to any of your ideas, but I, I do not want them forced on me on a daily basis. Uh, and the police and the authorities, of course, are, are very uh, wary of, of stopping any of this because it, it looks like dictatorial action, which I suppose it is. So again, we've we've lost all moral concepts on 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 all these sort of things on on uh, on how we should discuss things, on how we should protest things. It's 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 all played out for the media. It's all set up. I mean, you know, we can watch the news and there's there's Fred Smith, the local reporter of the BBC, talking to uh, Annie, whatever, and uh, she's already been told what she's got to say. They've already planned what's got to be said. And there's always protesters jumping around in the background doing their dancing, as, as they've been told to do their choreography. It's all staged. It's wrong. It's so, so, so wrong on all... It Really, this world's gone absolutely bananas. And it, all, in the, all under a word of freedom. We don't deserve freedom sometimes when, when we abuse it. I don't know. Again, I haven't got a clue how they're going to get around that. Well, I suppose the, the, the real thing is... That is one way they're doing it. The other one is quite clearly when you see the the soap operas and you see quite clearly that everything is being stage managed. And um, unfortunately, it's like nobody, nobody seems able to even comment on it. You know, if you watch a soap opera... Um, I, the other night I was watching, I didn't particularly want to see this, uh, but immediately you've got a couple of girls and they were ready to have um, a kiss and a cuddle, you know, on breakfast, uh, on, sorry, tea time TV. Now, mm. I remember going back to the 80s when I think the character was called Dr. Clegg in the um, East Ender series. Mm. He had a kiss and a cuddle with um, a, a police guy. And they certainly had a lot of people were writing in and saying it's not appropriate. Um, I mean, it wasn't just the watershed; it's everything. And and mm. of course, you see, it's almost like that's gone now. That that seems to be really finished. It seems to be that nobody seems to be able to make any sensible comment. But it's gone the other way, Vince. It's now forced upon you in in massive in massive amounts uh, on the television. All the time. I mean, if 4% of... I'm not being racist when I say this, but if 4% of the country are black, then I expect to see 4% of black people on my television as, as a general, unless it's a story about black people in a certain situation. It should be thereabouts. Was it a similar figure of 4% are homosexual? But all we get on, on the TVs, every soap opera's got half a dozen homosexuals in it, which is way out of proportion. Yeah. What, why? Why is it displayed as being normal? To, to it, almost to the point that I'm thinking maybe I'm not normal because I'm heterosexual. Maybe I, maybe I'm the odd one out. Maybe I should be gay. It, it's 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 stupid to do it. I don't I don't understand why they feel they have to do it. And and all believe uh, <laughs> I'm a great believer in speaking English. But why do we have so many actors now who have got such broad accents? I I. I I find it hard to follow sometimes. Some of these, there's some been particular good plays on recently where I'm going. I keep asking, my, "What's he saying?" I've got a clue. It, it's you know really really broad accents. Well, it's almost uh, like yes, Creole. It personifies the area they're coming from and the type of play. But for God's sake, make it understandable. Yeah, it's almost like Creole, and um, quite honestly, you know, this Mm. business of rappers, how important is the work of a rapper for me? You know, it's just ridiculous the amount of uh, publicity that they seem to get. Um, King's New Clothes, Vince, it's the King's New Clothes. Well, Uh, everyone believes it's it's a really good thing because because their mates do, and the mates do because all their mates do. (laughs) That's what it is all about. Yeah. Okay, um, right, here's one that I'm pretty sure you'll have an opinion on as we go to this one next. So, um, it's in the newspapers and therefore uh, it's worthy of our note that the late Pope Benedict the uh, 
16th, wasn't it? Uh, Closest Dade has revealed years of tension between the German theologian and his successor, Pope Francis, in an explosive memoir. George Gaineswine, Benedict's personal secretary, who was seen kissing his wooden coffin in St. Peter's Square last week, has embarrassed the Vatican with a series of revelations about the private conversations between the two popes. The German prelate, 66, revealed Benedict said Francis doesn't trust me anymore and claimed the pair clashed over mass traditions and modernising the church to add to the ongoing war inside the Vatican. It has emerged that the late Cardinal George Pell warned Francis would be a disaster and a catastrophe. Now, I think I've mentioned in... I don't know whether we were having a private conversation or whether it was I was telling you about a particular theologian I follow um, who uh, mm. was trying to unravel why it was that, um, you know, we, we had two popes, the emeritus pope who's just died. Um, yeah. And, of course, the strange sorts of things that Benedict has either introduced or promoted. And I caught a, a comment which I think is totally and utterly relevant to the way I've uh, been trying to understand this. Benedict says, uh, this Nicholas Hewitt from London, uh, he was more conservative than Francis. Francis is a liberal hack who is abandoning the church's most sacred teachings. I'm a Catholic, but not practicing. That said, I recognize the hypocrisy in a religious body suddenly tolerating that Uh, which has been inviolable for centuries, simply because it wants to remain relevant in a modern world. If you abandon your most sacred principles, then what is the point of the religion in the first place? It destroys the entire foundation and its purpose for existing, which, as always, is only for the betterment of those at the top. The Catholic Church doesn't practice at all what it preaches. Francis telling Europe to open its borders to those flooding in while he sits in a literal walled fortress in Vatican City. Breathtaking, stinking hypocrisy. Um, I mean, look, Terry, you're bound to have an opinion. You know I'm a Catholic. You know I know that you're not a Catholic. We can discuss these things. Um, Mm. I do feel that... Some of the things that Francis has been doing do do not put me in mind of anything I've learned over my life. I understand anybody who doesn't understand what we really believe in. I understand why it's criticised. But um, for me, for example, the Catholic Mass in Latin meant that I could go to any uh, country wherever and I can understand exactly what's happening. So that was one big thing that I completely and utterly saw uh, this particular theologian's uh, beef was about. Another thing is that, you know, the Mass in its um, best traditions is um, a solemn and a a very, very uh, sincere piece of uh, maybe acting out something that we believe takes us back right down through all the different popes to the first pope. And, you know, when suddenly you've got uh, people creating all sorts of plays and messing about with the altar and uh, even flashing lights appearing and all that sort of stuff, um, I understand where this theologian is coming from. I am a traditionalist. I don't like it. The one thing I do like is going to a quiet place where I can think with other people who seem to want to uh, live their lives in a nice way um, and see where we need to maybe think through things and take a bit of guidance. That's how I see it. What do you think uh, of all this that's been going on? It's very sad. Uh, We'll never get to the bottom of why Benedict um, ceased to be Pope, stepped back as Pope. I did. Um, I sent you a. a, a I did send you something. I know, but you, yeah, yeah, and I, and I can fully believe it. Okay. You know, but there's there's his side, there's the other side, and then there's the truth. Okay. In all these things, so I need to read up a bit more on that. It makes a good story, but uh, uh, and one I can fully believe, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but when there is so much money and so much power, you automatically get corruption, Vince, in in whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, uh, and I firmly, I'm not just looking at the Catholic Church. I mean, far long as all church, all churches are, are going to have a degree of corruption within them. It has to be. It can't not be. Uh, obviously, with the Catholic Church, they, they they point fingers at 
priests that fiddle with kiddies and God's Bank are being strung up under uh, the, the bridge in London and uh, all sorts of things. And like, you know, you can believe all of them or none of them, but it, it, it can't be healthy. The whole idea of religion is wonderful to me. I think it, well, I, I respect anybody who's got a religion, as long as you don't try and force it down my throat. Yeah. But how can all religions be so different? When if all religions are true, there is only one God. And they all say there's only one God. But which, one, which God do you want to talk about? And, and to me, when you, when you, instead of accepting that there is only one God, and we haven't got to say who it is or what it is, or what team he plays for, we just accept there's, there's, a, there's a, a higher entity that controls us. That's where I come from. Well, I, I, I would be quite happy with that because, quite honestly, having uh, been to Rome, as you know, recently and sat yeah. in the St. Peter's... Did you see pers- the Pope? No, I didn't. Uh, but then again, that, that, that is, to me, exactly the same as not seeing the Queen. You, you yeah. know, it's what the representation... What I did see was the big list on one of the walls of the chapels inside St. Peter's Basilica, which shows you the continuation, the lineage, all the way down from uh, St. Peter right to today's Pope. And that's quite Mm. awe-inspiring. What I would say, just in in answer to something you you were talking about, is I really um, think that it would be very difficult to be uh, totally prescriptive about uh, your church if you've been around and seen other parts of the world where you could see quite clearly a something's been there we don't know exactly what but we do know mm. that uh, you know other civilizations um, have been around plus I don't really think that if you're going to believe in uh, an all-consuming, all-fair uh, God, that he's going to sit in one part of the world and tell you that, you know, you, that you're the only people in one part of the world uh, and not sort of um, allow for people who live good lives under a set of rules from what they've learned in their part of the world. That's where I find yeah. great difficulty, actually. No, I've, I, I like reading. I love reading about religions, uh, Taoism, the, 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 the Hebrew faith. It, it, there's, there's many religions I could sort of hang my cap on if I, if I wish to, but I don't have to. I accept that there is one God. I, there is a God, not sort of one God. There is a God. Uh, a God in, in, in you, can, you can think of that as, a, as an old guy with a beard in, a, in his white cloak or, uh, or a woman um, doing the washing up. It, it doesn't matter to me. I believe there is a supreme being, yeah, an entity rather than a being, put it that way, because everything I look around me cannot be other than it has to be controlled, and if it's controlled, then it has to be a supreme being. But to, to actually uh, dictate to anybody that, that the religion I believe in is, is the only true faith is totally wrong. And I know religions are supposed to have respect for each other, but when you look back, that 90% of all the wars the world's ever had is about religion. So, you know, God is love. <laughs> it's a classic teacher, isn't it? Smacking the kid on the back of the head, shouting, God is love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what I find it hard to, to believe in. And when there's so much money and power in some of these religions, um, you see various uh, things get... And that's why it's so big in the States. I mean, anybody can pop up as an evangelist. Evan- evangelist, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We've put I put a good show on. By God, the money that, that people throw into him, thinking they're 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 they're, they're buying their their their, their eternity. It, it's a big it's a big deal. It's big business. It's big big business things. Yeah. And I think that's possibly where where it's crept in into the Roman Catholic Church in in, in modern days. It is business. If Where there's business, there's money and there's corruption. If it's solely about money, at least the one thing that. I can say over my lifetime, it would appear that each of the popes that I've seen and been able to see the way they live seem to want to live a fairly quiet, uh, pious life and not sort they of. They do, yeah, of course they do. They don't. They don't live the the, the, the jet setting life that uh, you know other individuals seem to like to lead. Uh, and I quite agree with you. They, they, they do. They, they seem wonderful people. You know, they've got the top job. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that behind the scenes that they're enjoying uh, they're enjoying the power. People get drunk on power things. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's a guy I know in our area who's uh, he's a multi multi millionaire. He's in his eighties, uh, and he's still he's still going out doing business. Uh, not not quite perhaps a a proper way sometimes, 
But he has to have the he has to have that power going. He has to keep it going. He won't hang his hang his cap up. So I'm eighty. I'm eighty odd now. I'm just going to pack in. No, he won't. He's keep fighting and fighting, and he, he does his business by, you know, maybe not quite correct procedures. He needs that kick. He needs that power. And I think when you get to that, and this is the trouble when you get people like Elon Musk or anybody who's in charge of Amazon or or, or other other major companies that that we we depend on. I mean, if Amazon pulled the plug tomorrow. God almighty, what are people going to do? They can't do the shopping, they can't buy anything anymore. <laughs> you know, can't Terry, they have to go down the shops. We're right on the hour, Terry. We've uh, The hour Bingo. cometh. So, um, <laughs> once again, we've um, partly put the world to rights and have, yes, uh, look forward to next week, Terry. Thank you. Igualmente, senor. Muchas gracias. Nada.